Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is Romy the Homie, and you are listening to the Journey with Romy podcast, where I'll be teaching lessons and principles from the Bible, sharing my life experiences and what they taught me, and interviewing some pretty dope people. The best part is, no subject is off limits. We're talking about everything. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right to it. All right, guys. So if I can be completely honest, I am very, very salty because I recorded the podcast for Romans 3. And for some strange reason, the mic, it was plugged in. So my brother actually unplugged it and plugged it back in because all of the the segments that I recorded, there was nothing on it. So it's like I was doing all that talking for a nice long period of time for absolutely no reason because it was not recording. But anyway, um, amen. So now I'm back continuing this series with Romans. I'm on Romans 3. So you can listen to Romans 1 and 2 just to kind of get caught up. But to summarize, Paul is writing to the Jews um, in particular and to believers and uh, believers, unbelievers and believers alike, Jews and Gentiles. So uh, the world is divided into three classes. You have believers and then you have the Jews and then you have the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. If you're not a believer, then you would be classified as either a Jew or Gentile, right? Believers, Jew, Gentile, whatever, you're a believer. So believers, Jew, and then Gentiles. So um, first, Paul was explaining why we need a savior, how God gave. He was explaining how God gave the world uh, and man up to their desires to fulfill the lust of their flesh, which is why we have so much evil in the world and the world is just going to continue to um, get get worse and worse. And then um, the Jews felt like um, that they were excluded from that because they obeyed the law. So um, he also talked about in chapter two, God's judgment on sin. And then that's why the Jews were like, that's right. (laughs) Get them because they are terrible people. And Paul was like, hold on, just because you follow the law doesn't mean that you're exempt from the wrath of God. So now we move on to chapter three. um, And then you have people basically questioning Paul's teaching about, okay, so what is the purpose of the law? So again, I'm reading from the NIV version. This is Romans chapter three. The the first section is, it talks about God's faithfulness. So the question is, what advantage then is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Would their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, Why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is just. 
So Paul's addressing the concerns again of some believers or from a human standpoint, this is probably the type of questions that, that, that they would say, well, then look, so what advantage do I have? If we're the chosen people of God, I thought we had an advantage and what value is there in circumcision? And he says, first of all, there is an advantage. There is a privilege because the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God, right? You just said that the question was like, you, you do have privilege. Now you may not honor that privilege or see it as a privilege because most of the Jews, you know, some of the Jews are not faithful to God. And that's where uh, he goes on to say, well, what if some are faithful? Just addressing some concerns that they may have, right? Will it then, will God be unfaithful? And it's like, absolutely not. God be true and every man is a liar. God is truth, right? He says, I am the way, the truth and the life, right? So God is truth. He cannot lie. It is man, it is us who who lies. Um, so he's saying, um, as it is written, so that you might be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. So God is faithful, regardless of how unfaithful we may be or how unfaithful the Jews may be, despite that privilege that they have with having the word of God and having the law when the Gentiles did not. So, and then they went on to even, or Paul wanted to address concerns of, well, look, if our unrighteousness magnifies the glory of God, then aren't we, why would he condemn us, right? Aren't we increasing his glory? Aren't we bringing more attention to him by our unfaithfulness? And Paul is saying, you know what? <laughs> if you think like that, then you deserve the condemnation that comes with that. You deserve, can be, you deserve to be condemned because it's fair. What makes you think that your falsehood or, or, you know, your unrighteousness can help God out. God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need anybody's help, right? So for you to even think that way, he's saying, you know, you your condemnation is just. Why would you feel like you need to do evil deeds or, or do bad things so that good may come? And then you feel like the good is magnified because of the, the bad things that you've done. That's That's not how it works, right? Moving on to the next section, it says, no one is righteous. This is verses nine through 20. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So here, Paul is going on to explain the, the magnitude of sin. Like he could have went on and on when he was listing the sins, when he says that uh, their mouths are this and they do this and their feet do this and so on and so forth. He's talking about um, sinners, talking about those who haven't haven't accepted Christ, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, this is the type of lifestyle um, that you live. So obviously every man 
has not committed every sin. But the point is that he has a nature that is capable of committing all of those sins. When God gave the law, the law was not given to justify people, but to produce the knowledge of sin. So um, it's like looking in a mirror. I can look in the mirror and then I can see this crust in my eyes because I just woke up, right? And if I leave the crust in my eyes, then that's on me. The mirror, although it's there to show me the crust in my eyes, is not going to take it out for me. So that was the purpose of the law, to show us that we are sinners, to show us that we could not keep the law. Um, it was to produce, again, the knowledge of sin. We we can never know what a crooked line is unless we also knew a straight line. So the law is like that straight line. When men test themselves by it, then we can see how crooked we are, right? When we test ourselves by this straight line, then we can see how crooked we are because the law is that straight line. We talked about this uh, before. So Paul is really reiterating the fact that the law is our schoolmaster. It was not meant to save us, but to only show us that we needed a savior. And when he goes on through the different, the verses that I just read, and he's listing these things that, that people do, um, is listing the magnitude of sin. There's so much sin that we can be involved in, and it doesn't have to be anything super extreme but it is still considered sin and there must be a price that's paid for that sin. So the last section of this chapter, verses 21 through 31, righteousness through faith. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So I didn't finish. That was 21 through 26. But I wanted to um, sit at this point uh, just for a second to explain uh, what's going on here. So specifically verses 25 through 26, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, so on and so forth. So people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, right? So this sacrifice shows that God is just, right? That he is a fair God when he held back and he didn't punish those who sinned in times past. So he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. So, and he did this to demonstrate his righteousness, right? He did it to also uphold his standard, right? Because he is just and he is fair. And through the sacrifice of Christ, he makes sinners right in his eyes when they believe in that sacrifice of Christ. Also, it might raise a question when you when you um, when you see that it might raise the question of well, how is it in the Old Testament? How were people saved if if Christ didn't come? Right? If he didn't come, if he didn't 
die at, in their time, then how could they be saved if I'm sitting here talking about how people are saved because of the sacrifice of Christ? Well, in the Old Testament, it doesn't matter that they didn't know of the sacrifice that was to be made because God knew that that sacrifice was going to be made. He, it didn't matter that that they didn't know when. God knew when that sacrifice was going to be made and he made a way of escape. So they were still saved on the basis of their faith because they believed God. They believed God when he said that I'm going to send you a savior. They believed God when he said, I'm going to send a Messiah. So by their faith and believing what God said would happen, then they were saved on the basis of that faith. So they were saved because they had faith in a when they were looking forward to Calvary, even though they didn't experience that or experience it or see it for themselves, they were looking forward to it because they believed God in his word the same way that although we may not have lived in the, in the time that, that Christ went to Calvary, we still talk about it. So we look back to it. We look back to it and they looked forward to it. But the, the basis of our salvation is the same, faith in Jesus Christ. They had faith that Jesus Christ would come and that the Messiah would come and that he would die for their sins. And we have the faith that he did it already. But at the end of the day, it all points back to Christ. So we know that that God's righteousness demands the sinner's death, but his love desires the sinner's eternal happiness. And the gospel reveals how God can save sinners without compromising his righteousness through the sacrifice of Christ. And when we talk about through faith in Jesus Christ, faith means it's utter reliance on the living Lord Jesus Christ as your only savior from sin and your only hope for heaven. So Paul goes on to explain that this salvation is to all and on all who believe. It is to all in a sense that it's available to all, it's offered to all, it's sufficient for all, but it is only on those who believe. That is, it is effective only in the lives of those who accept the Lord Jesus by a definite act of faith. So the pardon is for all, but it becomes valid in an individual's life only when he accepts it. And the same way that sin is universal. Remember, um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The availability of the gospel is also universal. So it's also available to everyone who needs it, but it's up to you to accept that. So finishing up this uh, passage, verses 27 through 31, it says, where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So that can be a little tricky, Um especially at the end when it says that we uphold the law. So first I want to go back a little bit and I want to explain the difference between sins, S-I-N-S, and sin, S-I-N. So sins refer to the wrong things that we do and have done, while sin refers to our evil nature, that is to what we are. So we are all born sinners. We're born into a sinful world. We are sinful by nature. Think of it like this. If you have a child or you have a little cousin or some child and you're babysitting or you're watching your child, whatever, 
and you say, you know what? You've had entirely too many cookies. You don't need any more cookies. You cannot have another cookie after they just ask you for another cookie. And hmm, they're supposed to be watching TV. And they were watching TV last time you saw them. And it just gets really, really quiet. And you hear the crinkling, the little package, right? It's making all this noise like someone's trying to get it open. And you go in there and you see your child or you see your little cousin or whoever it is. And they have something behind their back. And you go, you already know what it is, but you just want to see if they think you stupid. So you like, um, <laughs> what is that behind your back? And what is the child nine times out of 10 going to say? Nothing. Okay. Who taught that child how to lie? Nobody taught that child how to lie. Evil by nature. You are naturally a sinner. No one had to teach you that. You know, um, it's something it's a curse. It's a curse. And it happens to all of us. No one had to teach that child how to lie and say, there's nothing behind your back when there's clearly something that you're holding behind that on your, behind your back. And that thing that you're holding behind your back is the very thing that I told you you could not have, which means you were sneaking because you knew you couldn't have it. So you knew that it was wrong, but you did it anyway. Nobody had to teach you that you are naturally sinful. So the things that we have done, but our, our evil nature. So the thing is that Christ died for our evil nature as well as for our evil deeds. So God forgives our sins, but the Bible never speaks of him forgiving our sin, our evil nature, but instead he condemns or judges sin in the flesh, right? So the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So sins, the things that we do is what God, God saves us from, right? Is what he forgives us. He gives you a clean slate. He justifies you. And a very um, easy way to explain justification is he sees you as if you've never sinned before. It's a clean slate. He justifies you, right? Um and then when he when it says that he he doesn't die for our sin, it never speaks of him forgiving. I'm sorry, he did die for our sins, but it doesn't speak of him forgiving our sin. He condemns or judges sin in the flesh. And that's why Christ's sacrifice is such good news because it's a free gift. You just have to accept it because when you are judged by God, when you are judged by God, then he will condemn or judge you based on your stance with Christ. So um, if we refer to James 2.24, when James teaches that justification is by works, he doesn't mean that we're saved by good works or that because of our faith and plus good works, but rather the type of faith that we have, it produces those good works. So Justification is not something that we feel, but it's something that takes place because the Bible says so. So again, that's that faith, that faith um, tactic there. So not tactic, but you know what I mean? It's that faith component um, that, that Paul is trying to um, teach all who are listening. So then he's saying, so why are you boasting? You can't boast, right? So when it says at the very end, we uphold the law. So again, that can be very confusing, but let me explain that when it says that we uphold the law is because as believers, 
Christ upheld the law. Christ came to fulfill the law. So if we accept Christ's sacrifice as our own, God will see us as justified, just as if we never sinned. And God will see us as having fulfilled God's holy law that is required for us to have that fellowship with him. So we fulfill the law, not in that we're able to obey all the rules and that we follow it to the T like the Jews were trying to say they do, but we fulfill the law because we accept Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So that sums up chapter three of Romans. I hope I explained it uh, in a way that you all can really understand. Just to kind of summarize the difference between sins and sin. Sins are the things that we do or have done. And then sin is our evil nature. And when Christ died, he died for all of those sins, past, present, and even future sins. And right now we are free from the penalty of sin as in as a believer you are free from the penalty of sin is is as in you will not be condemned because we'll learn later in romans that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus so christ jesus is the one who provides that clothing of righteousness that we need um so it's because of that. And then sin refers to our evil nature. Again, he died for that as well. So we are, as believers, we are free from the penalty of sin, but we're not yet free from the presence of sin because we still have these fleshly bodies. As long as we are here on this earth, we are prone to sin. The good news about that is because Jesus died for our past, present, and future sins, if we confess, that's what he wants us to confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just like, just like that child who hid the cookie behind their back, if you confess, if the child confessed like, okay, I lied and I just wanted one more cookie, then as, as the adult or as a parent, you would expect, okay, I forgive you for lying, but you still ain't getting no cookie, period. Okay, you can get one tomorrow. But there's forgiveness there. There's forgiveness. And when you forgive... God says that when we confess, like he, he throws our sins into the sea of, of forgetfulness. So it's as far as the East is from the West. He doesn't dwell on that. He don't hang it over our head. If we confess our sins, he does not hang it over our head. Most of the time we're doing it to ourselves. So that concludes um, Romans chapter three. Again, Paul was addressing the Jews because they thought that they were uh, free um, from the judgment of Christ outside of accepting Christ. They thought that because they followed the law that they were good. And Paul was like, no, Jew or Gentile doesn't matter. God shows no favoritism. You are still going to be held accountable um, for when it comes to the judgment seat. So that's it. That's all. Until next time.